cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Wednesday, the 13th of January, 2021, and it is time, diggity donks, for Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Yes, in fact, it is hump day. We will get you through this hump with a nice, fresh, piping hot edition of Morning Combat. I am from CBS Sports. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined by the gentleman with, which shirt is he wearing today? I don't know, but he can tell us. Oh, Cotto versus Canelo. Very cool. By CBS Sports brethren, it's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Hello, Luke. Hello. We're back. I'm fired up. It's a no J Wednesday, so you know, take the seatbelts <laughs> off. You can enjoy yourself. No one getting, no one getting trolled today. Shout out! Shout out to the great. Yeah, Gaffers. there are some there are some microphones open that need to be closed. Yeah, live Thank mics you. there, Gaff. As we are, I was set to praise you, Gaff, as being the anti J, but uh, that was a very J move right there. Uh, but yes, we're back at it, Luke. Many people, many people uh, attempt to do what we do, Luke, which is turn on the microphones, speak into it, give opinions about combat sports. But you know what they're doing at the end of the day, Luke? Mm. Talking, right? Just, we're just art, bumping we guns. Artists. We are artists, okay, Luke. All right, this is uh, this is a lot, you know, a lot, a lot deeper stuff going on here, okay. This is, it, you know, I mean, I mean, what is art so. at the end of the day, Luke? Are we art? Is our art? Is our art? I think you've done this joke more than a few times at this point. Um, all right. So on the docket today, we actually have a new segment that I'm not sure how to explain. I'll let BC explain it. The topics we're going to get to today: Pacquiao, McGregor, still kind of on the uh, horizon in ways that are not dismissible. Same with Pacquiao, Spence. We'll talk about that Spencer Fisher article, Diego Sanchez sort of signaling retirement is around the corner, and some women's strawweight title situation. BC, quickly, how, and fan submissions and blah, blah, blah. How do you explain this new segment we're going to try? Well, you know, Luke, it's, it, every, every great segment is really uh, bred and born off of a problem that I'm looking to fix. The problem I have with this show, Luke, is that you're very stringent, opinionated, uh, <laughs> controlling, Right? Uh, not open to the ideas or thoughts of others. So I thought, well, you know, I'm sick of bad ideas pitching yeah. things out in our pre-show rundown meetings and you just being like, I'm not talking about that. No, I ain't got time, I ain't got time for that. Be, I will not talk about Mike Perry's son one more time, all right? I mean, come on. G- give Ocean a fighting chance here. So I've decided, Luke, to create a segment in which I write the questions. Mother, mother, motherfucker. All right? How many, how which, many do I have to you, answer? In which I present to you 10 categories, okay? Under good faith. That was your big lecture. That was your big... It must be under good faith. No trap questions here, BC. And you're going to spin that damn wheel, Luke. And you're going to be forced to answer. You're going to sit in the BC hot seat and uh, and be forced to answer whatever comes up, Luke, okay? A little bit of, little bit of Russian roulette, you know what I'm saying? If you're from Dagestan or you're just in a hurry. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this today. So I'm looking forward. I don't know what we're we going to call it. Uh, the, the wheel of death, uh, spin the black circle, uh, Luke, take the wheel, whatever, Luke. Either way, you're spinning it, all right? All right. All right. Well, that should be interesting. I uh, look forward to seeing that and trying it. I'm sure the questions are there. They're going to be about like who's got the best boobs or something, and I have to answer this and get us fired. I hope these questions don't lead us down a path of destruction. Do they? The only, the only, uh, you know, disclaimer you put was that I have to write them in good faith, Luke. Okay. That's right. 
Okay. Well, we'll see if we'll see if you can adhere to that. Uh, okay. If you want to try Showtime, who makes this show possible? Please give it a try. Showtime.com. Thirty day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go to something else with your life. You can go to the merch store, which is, I believe, store.show.com. There it is. You can get some merch. You can get some mugs. You can get some uh, tumblers, which my family keeps smashing on the ground like a Greek wedding. And uh, I've now lost all of them. I have, to, I, have to, I have to reorder. I have to reorder them. They've just been smashing them. I'm not sure what's happening around here. But um, uh, yes, plenty of things to get down there as well. Okay. All right. Well, with those disclaimers out of the way, let's get this party started. BC put this story on the uh, staff's radar. Pacquiao, Manny Pacquiao, says in 2021, he's got two opponents in mind. Now, there's a series of sub stories about this, which we'll flesh out. But let's start here. The two he has in mind are Errol Spence, obviously, who just had a, the, his big win over Danny Garcia, back from uh, his layoff after his injury, and Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is the other one that he mentioned, and there's a lot of reasons to think that either of these are, what would you say, BC, maybe not equally plausible, but entirely plausible, no? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Manny Pacquiao's in a great spot from the standpoint that he's resurrected uh, you know, the effectiveness of his career as as we stand right now entering 2021, he's still in theory one of the elite welterweights in the sexiest division in the world and still holds much power as a legitimate pay-per-view brand and a living legend. Oh, by the way, you know, titles in eight divisions, only fighter to do that on and on. But it's going to be interesting here, Luke, in, in terms of whether these big fights get made and really what they will look like and not just how it affects Conor McGregor standing in the UFC, which we can get to in a second. But let's just start here. Uh, Manny Pacquiao just turned 42, and while his 2019 was incredible, right? Blanked Adrian Broner on the scorecards in a pay-per-view bout, came back against Keith Thurman and regained a welterweight title in a thriller of a fight against an unbeaten prime, absolutely all there, Keith Thurman. We saw Pacquiao turn back the clock. Problem is, that was like 18 months ago, Luke. Pacquiao has become one of the sort of major casualties of the boxing quarantine, no large crowds, which has meant, you know, a, a lack of, of real sort of big-time star power pay-per-view fights. I like that he's interested in coming back. I was surprised as anyone that he was that good in 2019, that he's still that quick. He's still in a great spot to call his shots. This interview came uh, with a Filipino outlet in which he basically said, you know, they asked him about Spence, Crawford, uh, McGregor. He wants Errol Spence. He wants McGregor. Now let's focus on the boxing half of it first, Luke. Uh, he wants Spence, and it seems like he wants it next. Errol Spence seemed like he wanted it after beating Danny Garcia to close 2020. In that interview specifically, now Manny Pacquiao is not a guy that throws insults, so you got to put this under the guise of he probably said it very politely with a smile on his face, but Senador Pacquiao did say, Luke, uh, Errol Spence looks slow to me in his comeback Wigan against Danny Garcia, a lot slower than Keith Thurman was the year before. Um, do you think, Luke Thomas... That we will get Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence next on pay-per-view. And uh, what's that fight going to look like, given both the resurgence comeback of Errol Spence and the fact that, you know, it's going to probably be two years at that point from Manny Pacquiao last being in the ring. It's an interesting fight, actually. I mean, all the things, it's so funny that Mayweather is out here. And I'm not, you know, well, I'm not a fan of the Mayweather versus, you know, Logan Paul thing, but... If you are Mayweather, it's more of an appropriate ask of his abilities at this point. I mean, Paulie Malignaggi was a huge supporter of Floyd, and even after that Floyd versus Connor fight, I had asked him, like, okay, someone who's like a diehard for Floyd, you know, what would you say about uh, Floyd's performance in terms of you know relative to how he looked in his prime? And even he was like, dude, the guy is clearly 
yes, he probably needs to hang it up. I mean, you know, he, he got past this with relative ease, obviously, but um, there's a lot of issues at play here, and, and he's just not what he once was, not even close. And yet here's Pacquiao, 42. I don't know if he's exactly like in his prime, but he's still a force to be reckoned with in a pretty significant way. So it's kind of funny the way the, uh, the, the, the turn of the screw has gone. I actually feel like this is a perfectly legitimate fight. I like it. It's another reason why all this talk about Spence versus Crawford has to be next or boxing will implode and cease to exist. It was never going to be next. This is much more doable. It's if There are no major contract hurdles. Uh, it's sellable. It's pay-per-view ready. It might Not only is it pay-per-view ready, it might do well on pay-per-view. It's competitive. It's for the top of the division in some ways, you could say. Well, like, look, the winner would have three of four welterweight titles, so that's right. pretty I mean, damn big. There's plenty of re- – like, if someone said, is there a good reason to make Pacquiao versus Spence, there's a bunch of good reasons to make it. It's not a hard fight to make or to want or to even need for the division. It's not maybe the most coveted fight. Um, but it's certainly a coveted one. So I actually feel like, you know, when they'll make this and under what circumstances very much, I, I, I don't know. I don't certainly don't have any, uh, you know, uh, sources inside the boxing world to get an approximation of those things. But it just feels like where Crawford versus Spence is sailing into the wind, Pacquiao versus Spence feels like it's got the wind at its back and then some, BC. Well, yeah, and th- this is interesting that we keep Terrence Crawford's name in this discussion because he was also in play as a maybe potential uh, Manny Pacquiao opponent. But what we do know about Crawford's current promotional situation from everything he and Top Rank have said in their little back and forth to close the year was that it seems like Bud Crawford has one more fight left on that Top Rank deal. And if he doesn't fight Pacquiao, if Spence gets that instead, Luke, I don't know who Bud Crawford would fight for that finale. But there is optimism to the idea that if Spence gets by Pacquiao, we would see Crawford either next or the fight after that because Crawford would have the opportunity to go sign with PBC if that's his plan. And look, if you're backing Terrence Crawford now, I don't know how that would not be your plan if you want to get the defining fights in your career and find out how great you are, find out how great you can be. But for Errol Spence, this Pacquiao fight, look, I love it on paper. Um, I think it would have, we would have talked differently about it, you know, a year and a half ago when Manny was coming off that big win over Thurman. It's not not a ton has changed since then, but you know you do have to factor in what's Pacquiao going to look like, especially if he doesn't take a tune-up fight before that. And um, two southpaws, two guys who can punch, two guys who can quick, who are quick. Obviously, Manny uh, believes he has a speed advantage here. But if you're Spence and you win this, Luke, this is your first opportunity at being in like a blockbuster. I know Spence is fresh off three pay-per-view appearances: Mike, uh, Mikey Garcia, Sean Porter, and then Danny Garcia. All three seem to have sold well based on expectations, but the Manny one could be the first time, like you mentioned, where it actually just sells pretty damn well and really lifts him to being the legit A side in a Spence Crawford fight when and if that fight actually gets made. But uh, the other half of Manny's equation, Luke, is the whole idea of fighting Conor McGregor in a boxing match. And obviously this is a scenario made easier by the fact that now Manny officially has signed with Paradigm, Paradigm Sports and Audiotar and Manny and uh, Conor McGregor's same management company. So um, what do we do with this, Luke? We, Dana White's been in uh, Fight Island this past week. All the American journalists have arrived, and you're starting to see the interviews. And Dana's big quotes were, you know, stuff that makes sense for Dana to say at this moment. Hey, Connor, you could get on a roll here. You could win the UFC lightweight title this calendar year. You need, you're going to be facing all killers no matter what you do. You need to be fresh and consistent and all that. 
those big boxing fights, they'll still be there in 2022. He specifically said Manny Pacquiao will still be there in 2022. Let's stay in the cage now. Luke, what happens to close this year? Do you see Connor going in this direction? Would it depend on whether he won or lost against Poirier? How do you see that playing out? It depends how much UFC needs him. To me is what it feels like. It depends on how much they feel like letting a Connor versus Pacquiao fight happen is in their interest. Is really what I think. I mean, you know, you have a situation here where um they were willing to take a risk, a lightning in a bottle situation to well, at least at the time it felt like one against Mayweather. Let's see how it goes. They made an absolute metric ton of money. The fight turned out to be as entertaining as I thought a version of that could have been. Right, something that Max Kellerman had said. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which that was a big win for all the parties involved, Showtime included, of course. And then you have to say, okay, well, that, okay, you got it out of your system. What's next? But if there's a way for them to look at this and say, okay, listen, um, maybe they have a year where a bunch of headliners fall through and this will be a way to generate a tremendous amount of income if they feel like that could do it, if they feel like this could sell 3 million buys, if they felt like Connor could do well enough to not be embarrassed. Let's say they actually make the Spence fight in relatively short order and Pacquiao looks kind of bad. Wow, I mean, maybe Connor could, you know, not win per se, but do well enough to, to get a, a much more than just a ordinary moral victory to the extent that that kind of money and that kind of opportunity is something that they're either willing to happen, need to happen, want to happen, they'll let that happen. But if they had a really strong 2020, as we all know, certainly after they got right with the commissions, if they can keep that up, and they're going to start the year quite strong here this month, and we'll see what happens, but if they can keep that up, my hunch is their willingness to let that happen. Because remember, they are the ones that hold the cards. They have to say and agree as his sole promoter in any combat sport, which is what those deals that fighters sign say, um, until it's really in their interest to do, really, truly in their interest, I would say either Connor fights in the octagon or not at all. You? It's interesting because if Connor loses to Poirier, you know, whether competitively or, or one-sidedly, you can talk yourself into the idea of, well, you know, maybe he goes, okay, I just lost my spot in the lightweight title picture. Maybe I go back to boxing. Maybe I go, you know, make this, even though you can argue, you know, do the sales get hurt if Connor's coming off a, a UFC loss going into that. But Luke, just the same. If Connor beats Poirier and if that gets him the UFC's lightweight title, or let's say he fought a second time in the first half of 20, 2021 and won the UFC's lightweight title, I could see that as being just as big of a springboard for Connor to be like, okay, pause this, time out, my star level is back. Let's go over to Mannyville and try to, as you said, try to produce 3 million pay-per-view buys. So, um, obviously, Dana has some form of leverage in this decision, as you mentioned. They went out of their way to make the Floyd fight. They cashed in on it in a year in 2017, by the way, where pay-per-view you know, sales were, uh, were just not there for the UFC with Rousey going away, McGregor going away, etc. But um, this whole scenario is going to be interesting. Atar gave an interview with a... Uh, Dubai paper and basically said, you know, 2021, yes, this fight's going to happen. Uh, you know, you can understand that position of leverage for him to want that to happen. But uh, I don't know, Luke. I don't know. Um, I just think that it's the same reaction you, we had. This. Do you want to see it? Do you want to no. see it? No, no. And, and it was going to tie into the point I was about to make that it's the same reaction you and I had when this thing was first sniffed about, you know, a year and a half ago. It's like, uh, this is not the matchup you want, Connor. Those are not the droids you're looking for, right? Manny, Manny will send you to hell. I don't care if he's 43 by then. You know, the speed's real, uh, and the power that comes from the speed is real. Um, it's, it's, 
if you're Connor, do this out of desperation only. Or do this if you've run the table in 2021 and you're the, the king of the lightweight mountain and you look at the landscape and go, yeah, there's no big fish at the moment. Let me go out there. But Luke, either way, okay, I don't think the senator gets enough credit from us at this point in the calendar. Luke, I don't care. Uh, look, I'm not again, I'm not going to be the baseball fan who's watching McGuire and Sosa hit home runs and try to uh, just fool myself into believing that they never, uh, you know, rub the cream or the clear on their toast in the morning. And the same, you know, might go with Pacquiao's long career. But we're talking about a guy who turned pro in like 1995, Luke. We're talking yeah. about a guy who turned pro at like 106 pounds. And it's like 27 years later, do the math, whatever, 25 years later, and he's still freaking on top of this sport. And he's still in conversations for fights with guys like Errol Spence Jr., in which we can kind of talk ourselves into favoring him. Um, what, you know, Whether those calves are jacked on their own or, or, or there's a needle hanging out or not at any point in his career, good Lord, this is one of the all-time great careers, Luke. Like, I don't even think the great overrated at times Manny Pacquiao gets the overrated love he deserves in this moment. No. Um, yeah, I don't know with any of these situations, what the truth is about what they did or did not take. It's very, very hard because all this is obscured and pushed underground. You know, but there's a lot of athletes currently across sports late into their careers, and everyone's like, wow, look how well they're doing where we're having these GOAT debates about, look how well this current person is doing, you know, late into their career. Forget about Pacquiao. Let's talk about other sports. I see it all the time in football. I see it all the time in basketball, and I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> y'all think this is happening because they – sleep a little bit longer and, you know, they eat their Wheaties and they uh, eat lots of asparagus and get massages more than people of their previous generations or because they're special and benighted and told by God that they're going to be the ones that really do things that others couldn't. Or maybe, just maybe, as I've tried to explain to everybody, drugs are here. They're not going away. The most you could probably do is somewhat minimize the harm and sort of accept the reality that uh, there's not a whole lot you can do to get rid of them. So, um, whatever the situation is with Pacquiao, I don't know. But, listen, he has to stay in compliance with the rules. He's been in compliance with the rules, as far as I know. And, as a consequence, he is eligible for bouts against people like Connor, against people like Errol Spence, and maybe others, if he can keep it going. So, it just is what it is, in the immortal words, BC, of one Max Holloway. Any final well, thoughts one, on this issue? Well, one day we'll look at like that run Barry Bonds had during the obvious roid years and just actually celebrate them for what they are. Yeah, the guy took the stuff, Luke. He also hit like 370 and got intentionally walked 5,000 times in one year. I mean, it was pretty ridiculous. If or if not, man, he's in that same category. Either way, it's still pretty ridiculous. We're like 26 years into this guy's freaking career. I mean, it's insane, Luke. But, uh, you know, that's up for people to debate by the fire late night with a cold one. You know what I'm saying, Luke? I hear you, bro. I hear you. Uh, all right, so let's go next. Diego Sanchez, to my knowledge, uh, maybe somebody could come out of retirement to change this, but to my knowledge, the only remaining active competitor uh, from season one of The Ultimate Fighter. He's the only one who's left has sort of signaled, and I'm sort of, he took to social media to basically suggest that his next fight will be his last, that he doesn't even have, doesn't even want to have any say, just wants the fans or the matchmakers or Dana White or whoever to pick it. First things first, before we talk about who a suitable fight would be, BC, what can you say about the career of Diego Sanchez? Love it. 
legend. Legend in, in, you know, and I know that some people have heard me make that sort of disparaging Hall of Fame debate, right? Like, he's in the Hall of Fame because of that fight. Is he an actual Hall of Famer? Well, I think whether you're looking at it under the normal metrics that we do in other sports or even the softer UFC metrics, which allows an 11-7 and seven Matt Serra into the Hall of Fame because in a lot of ways because of his one big moment. Diego Sanchez is still at the very least in that conversation. A guy who we know never won a title, uh, probably lost more of his big fights than won, but just a legend from the standpoint of being all action all the time, a true character, and a guy who at 39, Luke, like, yeah, it is time to probably hang it up. He's also, what, like... Three and two in his last five? I mean, it's not, you know, it hasn't been a, a a complete, you know, train wreck down the stretch. He's evolved to stay modern, even though he's of the original, you know, ground and pound early days. And he's just an iconic figure from the freaking barking and yelling yes, which did inspire WWE's Daniel Bryan, to um, just having that savage character and even some of the weird turns with the whole Joshua Fabia run and the whole... Uh, you know, he's basically got those Khalil Roundtree crystals and he's only, I think he's sitting on them, Luke. Okay. They're giving him mystical uh, powers and weird things to say out of his mouth, but uh, just a savage. And, and, and one of those early icons, I, I almost want to say like a tank Abbott in the sense that he's like this early image of like this savage icon only in reality, tank Abbott kind of came and went like Sanchez has lingered forever, Luke. And that's a testament to him being a true fighter and, uh, and being able to evolve and give us these fights like this one with Gil Melendez and, uh, so many classic ones. I love that. He's actually in a spot where he's saying, this will be my last one. I don't care who I fight. Dana, I, you know, I trust Dana go make it good because that's a much better spot than being told after four losses in a row that you have to leave. So, uh, let's get a fun matchup out. Let's get out the Rolodex, Luke. Let's find another fun veteran who we know is going to stand with him and trade, and let's celebrate this guy one more time for what he's given uh, this sport, you know, uh, us on an entertainment level. I've got nothing but great things to say about him, even though uh, I don't like people calling him a Hall of Famer because of that fight stipulation category thing. Yes, well, he, I mean, like it or not, it's it's a reality. I mean, this is a guy who has been a blood and guts fighter from from the word go. From the Ultimate Fighter, he had this aggressive in-your-face style. He was kind of mocked by his peers on that show, or at least sort of considered and made out by the producers to be kind of weird, which is probably you know not much of a stretch. But it also showed that um, he was a student of the game, that he was trying his best with an, an enormous... He, um, he was MMA's Mr. Hustle, right? I mean, the, the current version of it, I don't know what to say. But a, a, when he was out there really doing that work... He was, you know, Pete Rose is, I'm not here to say that he was as accomplished in the game as what Pete Rose meant, but I mean, somebody who just in every single situation applied maximum intensity, maximum hustle. And yes, sometimes, you know, at the expense of maybe uh, uh, where Fight IQ could have dialed things back for a more winning way, um, that wasn't necessarily in him. But uh, I think in in the idea of just, you know, implying whatever matter of will you could to win, whether it was advisable or not, quite frankly, he would do that. And more often than not, it actually, I think, elevated him more than it more than the opposite. A guy who fought the very best of his generation, um, a guy who dealt with a lot of adversity. Folks don't realize, you know, he, he had left Jackson's for a time and went and trained with the uh, Hibero brothers in San Diego, then went back to Jackson's. But when he went back, he had talked, I think... Um, uh, with Ariel Hawani, I believe this is true, about all the money he had lost through either various scams or various people in his life. 
So, you know, I really worry about the next stage of his life, quite frankly. We're going to talk about Spencer Fisher. I think Diego Sanchez is probably a candidate that, um, you know, is worthy of examination to see what's going to happen next. But if you're going to remember him as a fighter, it's just no way to talk about him without talking about how he used that intensity at all times, I think more often than not, to really elevate him, create memorable fun fights, and... Um, get the most out of the fight game that he could, BC. But yeah, and, it, it, and you know, you talk about a pioneer in a lot of ways. God, he turned pro in 2002 in the dinosaur stage, and just looking at his run, Luke. I mean, you forget how, like, because he's become such a character uh, this past decade, he's become more of a character. Although, again, like I said, he was still putting in wins. He never lost more than two fights in a row, which really says something for a guy who's been around for two full decades and you know has fought nearly 50 times. But Luke, you look at he won first 17 fights and you know that was through 2006 and in that run you got wins over freaking Nick Diaz, Kenny Florian, John Alessio, Carl Parisian, Joe Riggs, Jorge Santiago. Uh I mean the guy was very much legit and probably as good as you can be during that decade without winning a UFC title and went on to beat Joe Stevenson, Clay Guida, and et cetera. Uh, this past decade was a little more hit or miss, but I do give credit to anyone, Luke, when we had the Andre Arlovsky discussion, for example, where you can avoid that exit, avoid that, you know, where you just have had your time and your time has come and you haven't evolved and you are just worn down. There's something special, even if it, unfortunately leads to, as you as you teased, a potential dark ending for guys like this who have th- left so much of themselves in the cage. The fact that he was able to leave that much of himself in the cage and still linger and be somewhat pretty much relevant and evolve during the second decade of his career is, is remarkable. I mean, there is a, a, a savage of savages inside that guy, and uh, I respect that. I respect that a hell of a lot, you know? And, and I, um, he also, man, he, he, I hope he was, there's happy... I think it deserves to be said, BC, he was never the biggest star, even in his prime, that the UFC had. There was always like a pay-per-view star, and even when he had earned a, a shot against BJ Penn, you know, the fight obviously did not go his way. But I do think it is fair to say through the Ultimate Fighter, yes, did he get his profile raised? No doubt about it. But through all of those blood and guts performances, whether it was against Diaz or Parisian or Campman or Melendez, I mean, you could just go down the list of all the times, right? Yeah. He elevated the UFC brand. He was a guy that the UFC could say, this guy, is, what, is what, he represents everything it means to be you know, an MMA fighter, what we're all about. And you just knew, for a time anyway, that when he was on that card, you were going to get somebody who quite literally bit down on the mouthpiece and was looking for absolute carnage all the time. That, I think, was really helpful for the UFC brand when he came around when he did. He was unique. He was different. He was intense. He was focused. And for a time, he was really, really good. That that helped the UFC, and I don't think there's two ways about it. There's a reason they never cut this guy, and they probably had some opportunities along the way. It's because he embodied what it meant to deliver the UFC product in many ways. Look, it's really hard to be in a sport for two decades and not have a three-fight losing streak. There's so many ways to lose in this sport. There's so many evolutions and new killers coming in, and for him to avoid that has been huge. Do you think that his, um, you know, I mentioned off the top, in full respect, I think he's in that category of of debate of whether he's a Hall of Famer, and, and depending on where your your sort of um, you know where, where your strike zone is on what that should mean in the sport of MMA, his resume is almost Bispingian, if you will. He didn't have the the late title win like Michael Bisping had to sort of put the capstone on one what was a great career. But you look up and down that record, along with being an action icon. 
as I mentioned earlier, he's got some pretty damn good wins. I mean, this is this is one of those, you know, Craig Biggio backdoor to 3,000 hits type of career where you look at the stats and you go, oh, damn, he's got a lot of good wins there. I mean, this guy was, you know, this guy was pretty much legit despite being a character. No doubt about it. Now, it leads us to sort of the second part here. His last fight, what do you do? I, I don't think it's a strain to say we're not even close to the very best kind of Diego Sanchez that we've had. You want to give him something of a soft landing, you know, not a gimme per se, but a winnable fight. It's hard to do at, I'm guessing, what, 170? I don't know if he'd go back to 155. I don't really know what he wants at this point. What do you think, BC? Just pull someone off from LFA, or is there someone in the UFC you could spotlight? No, I I think the best thing to do would be to to make it a fun fight against a fellow name somewhat in his category. And what I mean by that is being known for action, being beloved. I almost want to say give him the winner of, you know, Carlos Condit and Matt Brown coming up. Although, look, uh, Matt Brown finished Diego Sanchez a couple years back in freaking vicious hellbow style that almost made me want to uh, scream for, for Diego's retirement in that moment. But uh, what about a Clay Guido rematch, Luke? You hate it? Does it feel a little bit too much like Israel Vasquez and Rafael Marquez four in boxing? It was unnecessary. It was sort of like, we don't know what else to do. Would you be down for something like that? Diego Clay Guida too? To, to say goodbye? I don't have a better idea. I can say that. I don't have a better idea. I don't think, I don't think that's the... Um, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's not a bad one because he's fallen on hard times too. Or at least, you know... I'm falling hard times. They're all aging. You just age. It just is what it is, BC. I did front squats on Sunday. I can barely walk up the stairs. It's Wednesday. I'm old and pathetic. Life just comes at you fast. You know what I mean? So it's not even like um, that they're declining in some kind of way where, you know, they are, it's their fault of their own, per se. Um, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. That's the one that got him in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if Guida is interested already, but that's a decent call, BC. Guida's lost three thinking. of four. Yeah, they're the same age. They're in the same spot. I mean, you could just as well do a Jim Miller rematch, but I don't think it has the same sort of, you know, gl- you know, glimmer to it. I- All I'm saying is if you're the UFC, Luke, and this guy's been such a great soldier for you, you want to reward him by making the fight, like, intriguing. Like, I must see it. If it was Jim Miller, I, I don't know if I must see it. If it was Clay Guida in a rematch of one of the greatest fights of all time, or if it was Gil Melendez and they called him up and said, Gil, you want to do it one more time? If it was something like that, I think that's the right road to go, Luke. Well, we'll see what happens next. It takes us to our third story here. Um, shouts to Stephen Morocco over at MMA Fighting, working on this piece for years. Finally, it was the right time, and he had to go through a couple of different employers. And uh, Spencer Fisher wasn't really ready to tell the story until now, but he did a huge profile on Spencer the King Fisher, who for a time in the UFC had one of the great trilogies with Sam Stout, was just a dynamite striker, heavy-handed guy who was part of that the rise, and I guess to an extent, I suppose the fall anyway, of the Militich fighting systems. But when Militich was hot, he was one of the guys, and you can see the article there on the screen, The Cost of Being the King. The article deals with a number of topics, but basically the gist is this. At age 40-something now, a little bit older than me. 44, Luke. 44. He is uh, financially barely hanging on from a healthcare standpoint. He's on a ton of meds, uh, but really is getting totally improper care. He has uh, pretty significant brain damage. He can still function, but he can't hold a job. And things are only about to get worse. What was your takeaway from this article, BC? 
First of all, it was excellent work from from Morocco, as you mentioned. Um, it was a compelling, long, uh, in-depth read. So I really encourage anyone, whether you remember that name, and you should remember Spencer Fisher's name or not, uh, this is just a, a an insight into sort of what happens from the early days of we just want to get this sport noticed. And he was one of those guys who brought a lot of notice with his action fights to this is the first time in this very young sport, Luke, uh, outside of those or- original pioneers, and a lot of them had really bad endings as well, but didn't get publicized enough, that we're getting an inside look at what the bad ending can look like if you leave everything you have in that cage. And that's something that Spencer Fisher did. It became his calling card. It was the reason he was able to you know, max himself out and have a really nice career. Uh, my first response is this was a very sad read. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost meant to be in a way. But it really wakes you up, Luke, not just in the you know the, the the brutal nature of what combat sports is and how unforgiving and how even at the freaking highest level like you know one percent it seems like uh, come out of there better off than they were beforehand you know aside from the the fame and the short bursts of money and some guys are obviously able to to set themselves up for the for the afterlife but just how it takes so much from you and you have to put so much of yourself into it to be that good that this was a wake-up call at how young this sport still is. And what I mean by that, Luke, is, you know, we're what, like, you know, 26, 27 years into the actual UFC, you know, not even three decades into ultimate fighting, mixed martial arts being an actual sport. There are not even close, you know, we talk about a union, there aren't even close to the proper foundational things set up to take care of these guys who entertain us, who provide us with a platform to have these jobs, who fuel the damn UFC and allow them to become a billion dollar organization and have that huge sale. There's no, you know, pension fund afterlife, uh, anything. This guy just needs his, uh, you know, his medical bills paid for and needs, it needs, uh, you know, forget the income. I mean, this is just a sad situation. A guy who can barely work and probably won't be able to much longer was deemed that he can't work in a regular job. And, uh, you know, you find out that he was one of those recipients of the sort of Dana White, Matt Hughes, you know, Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner type of handshake. Thank you so much for your service. Here's 5,000 a month, uh, you know, for the next you know, not the rest of your life until it ran out after the sale. But the sad part about that, Luke, is, you know, Morocco kind of puts in there that maybe that was hush money. Maybe that was we know you can't fight anymore and you're going to be pretty much bad off. So here's some money to uh, to just try to get by. And then eventually that money was gone. It's a wake up call, Luke, that um, let me say it like this. Sometimes in boxing in particular, we watch these big pay-per-view fights and they're not wars, right? Sometimes they're not even competitive. Sometimes you figure out early who's the better guy and the fight just kind of plays out like that. And we're like, man, why aren't these guys doing what the guys did in the freaking 70s and the 80s and the early 90s when I love this sport? Um, you ever see Riddick Bowe lately? That's why oh, they don't do I, it. I saw him, dude. I saw him. I saw him. I told you this. I saw him almost, God, 10 years ago now almost at the uh, Con yeah. Peterson weigh-ins. He looked bad, dude. I mean, and, and, there, and it's not just him. It's a lot of those guys, right? And it's like... You know, not everybody ends up with the money of a Sugar Ray Leonard or a Muhammad Ali or whatever, but even Ali obviously physically was was, was in a, a bad state really soon after the career ended. The reason why, Luke, you don't see as many people as you want in theory to just leave it all in the damn fighting arena is because what do you get from that? This was a wake-up call to that. This is a great sport, 
And part of, again, the entertainment level and the, and the reason why this brand of the UFC has gotten to this point was because of people like Spencer Fisher who would go out there on undercards or whatever and just bleed, baby, and just leave it all out there. Um, there, there doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any setup in boxing either, you know, for 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 a for a happy ending afterwards. And it's not just financially; it's having the means to to have the care you need and the medicine and all that. Um, this was a huge wake up call that I think everybody should read, and the reason why fighters need to band together. And this isn't meant as a rant against the UFC, although you can certainly read through the lines on this story, as I mentioned, whether it was the stuff about the UFC's doctor or whatever, and and get the the message that you're supposed to get from reading that story. But it's a wake-up call to the fighters more than anything, Luke. I wish every UFC fighter today would read this story, and hopefully they are. And, and I love that it inspired uh, Gray Maynard to go on the campaign he's done over Twitter in the last year to kind of put the pay disparity out there. Um, the bad news, Luke, and we, we tease this sometimes, to get the proper care for fighters financially and more than that, that, that they deserve, it might end up sacrificing some of the entertainment that we all love. But they freaking deserve it. This guy's 44, and he... And he can't function, and it's in its CTE, and it's and it's a shame. And you know, this is a guy who, I mean, yeah, he he had a blip on the radar where he was looking to be in title contention, but we're not even talking about a you know former champion or someone that that is just at the front of your mind. In a lot of ways, it was it was a journeyman, lovable guy who put on really great fights and had a season where he was a legitimate contender. But it's like they're just forgotten once they're gone, and. Um, you know, it, it, as a media member, it can it can do the same thing that it does to you when you see a death in the ring or a horrible injury in boxing, and you're like, you know, recalibrates. What what am I really doing here? What am I really covering? And I'm not saying that because you know I, I want to take some hard moral stance and look for a way out. I just think there are more things that we can do, or, or that the promoters can do, or that anyone can do to kind of create the right structures, foundational things that the fighters need. Whether that's a union, I don't know, but you see it with the NFL guys banding together in the lawsuits and trying to get. You know, just their health care taken care of for the for the second half of their life. Um, I want to see that same for the UFC fighters. This is very sobering, Luke. Very. Yeah, you I, know, not I, to, go ahead. No, I just not to be all Debbie Downer here, but this was this was rightfully sobering. That's what you should have took from reading this. Yeah, I mean, everything can't just be happy all the time. Every story can't just be what a great success UFC had in 2020 or, you know, the next show is going to be on ABC or, you know, we'll see what Bellator has cooked up in 2021 that is also part of the story those are things you also should not ignore everything plays a role here and every part of it deserves to be acknowledged um, especially the good but also parts of the bad and the bad tends to reveal itself uh, more often than not in this game because the safety protocols certainly have gotten better it takes some time to to reveal itself I mean the reason why the story is so important is that it took time to tell Right? You couldn't just rush out after a fight, stick a microphone in his face after his last contest, and get these kinds of answers. Things had to mature over time, and it's that longitudinal perspective where you really begin to get a clear picture of the truth. Right, The short-term truth, and even the long-term truth, are, are certainly a province of the UFC, but the long-term realities for fighters, those stories are not easy to tell, but when they are told, they are critically critically important. I have a few reactions to this. The first thing I would say is, um, and I was texting, texting this to some people yesterday, there are not many things in this fight game where I feel like I have a moral imperative to cover. So for example, um, I'm going to cover the UFC's event this, this Saturday, but do I feel like I have a moral imperative to be there Saturday to you know cover the results and do a post-fight whatever? No, not necessarily. I don't feel like that's a moral obligation. It might be a professional obligation, but not a moral one. But when it comes to fighter pay, 
And when it comes to making sure that they have the appropriate amount of leverage, whatever that may end up being through Ali Act or various lawsuits or a union, I do feel like I have a moral imperative. A lot of people ask me, how can you cover a sport where it breaks people this way? And the answer is, I feel like it's my duty to help break them less. Um, because you can't really talk them out of it. There are people who come out the other side just fine. That part needs to be acknowledged as well. But for the people who are getting broken by it, unless someone does something about it, and in the case of media, all you can really do is raise visibility for it, um, uh, it's going to continue to happen. It's going to continue to happen. I feel like if you are a media member and you are not shining a light as, as, as much as reasonably possible, on the reality of fighter pay and the reality of fighter leverage, you're a coward. You're just a coward, and it deserves to be acknowledged as much. The second thing I would say is there's a lot of arguments that go into about who does more to make MMA work. Is it the promoter who puts up all of their money and makes uh, you know the arena happen and puts up all the lights and blah, 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 or is it the fighters who go in there and fight? And the answer is, of course, it's a shared responsibility. But a lot of times you'll see people defend it and say, well, the promoters are the only ones risking anything. Wow, bullshit. What a ridiculous comment that is. I mean, you just go and look at what Spencer Fisher, and by the way, he is hardly alone. There's going to be many more of him coming, folks. Trust me. The idea that only the promoter is putting up something, I'm not here to diminish that they are. Of course they are. And so many have lost a ton of money and gone bankrupt in the process. That's a real story, too. But this is a real story, and this is an ongoing story, and it's not an isolated one. Don't ever forget the cost that these people have to pay to put themselves in this position. And I think the last thing, BC, just sort of worth focusing on here is it is true that these fighters also bear some responsibility for their own plight. I think that part is true, right? Well, look, they know what they're getting into, right? Like, we're not going to be... You and I are not naive right now. This is freaking punching people in the head. You do know what you're getting into, so that's... Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, you know, listen. um, Well, even that's... Well, that's a slippery slope, too, a little bit, BC. I mean, yes, there's no denying that punching in the head is bad for you. Okay, but, like, what does that mean when the rubber meets the road? Here's my point. Did they know at the time of Miltich Fighting Systems that the kind of hazing they were doing as training would result in lives like they have today? Probably not. They probably did not think it would, would would result in where they are today, where Tim uh, Sylvia is on, you know, GoFundMe to pay for surgery. Obviously, Matt Hughes' situation is a little bit different because he had a traumatic uh, accident with a train. Um, but, you know, a lot of these guys are ending up just by hook or by crook in these really bad, awful positions. So best practices are getting better. And to that extent, fighters have a responsibility to investigate them. But I, I just feel like as much as the blame should be put on them for – you know, understanding what they're getting into. These are people, BC, who think that every day when they wake up, they're the best candidate to win the lottery. That's the kind of mentality you have to have if you want to be a prize fighter. Any shred of doubt, anything to derail you from from getting through that workout, that sparring session, and ultimately that fight is going to do exactly that. So they shut it all out as a means of success. All I'm pointing out is... It's going to be very hard to get these guys to accept risk when they're 25 years old, especially if they're doing well. All the more reason to have something after they're done to take care of the ones who desperately need it, whether right. it's healthcare and or it's, financial resources or some combination. The reason why I think the, the Spencer Fisher story, this specific to- story being told the way it was is important, Luke, because look, like 
Not every fighter that's ever stepped foot in the octagon is going to deserve this type of treatment. But Fisher's a guy who, you know, like came came as close as you can come to being a legitimate title contender and, and being an action guy and a fun guy, but then sort of just disappeared when his career was over. And you don't hear him talk about a lot. But that guy was one of the key cogs who bled to to get to keep the UFC going during an important time. So there probably should be some kind of tier system, Luke. You know, some type of merit that has to be reached, whether amount of fights or wins or something that allows you to say to yourself, I know the risks. This is not safe. This is not a safe sport. And if I fight the way I love fighting, that fans love, that the promoter loves, uh, it's going to be double as risky. But I will take that chance because... That's the way I'm wired. I'm opportunistic. I love to fight, blah, 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 because I know that there is at least something at the end of the road that will take care of my family and I, right? And by the way, this is not some chump. He had wins. I mean, if you're new to MMA, this won't mean anything to you, but if you know anything about it, it should. He had wins over Josh Neer, Tiago Alves, Aaron Riley, uh, Matt Wyman, Dan Lazan, Sam Stout, Cal Uno, Jeremy Stevens. I mean, and a fight he of the night guy, like a fight of the night guy waiting to happen, right? Like just a dude. He's a, he was a very good fighter. Now, in the end, it petered out. He lost one, two, three, four, five, five of his last six, and most of those, like uh, no, those were mostly by decision. But still, you know, yes, he at the end he faded quite badly. But he was a. I mean, he couldn't beat the very best BC, but he beat the rest. But here's the deal, like. We talk about this a lot. The culture Dana White creates. Look at the Dana White Contender Series. The culture is about, we're going to put four or five fights out there on this broadcast. And if you win, it doesn't mean you're part of our organization. It's whoever impresses us the most with your savagery. It's a, it's a setup with the bonus system that is set up to try to create Gotti Ward every fight, every night. How many times do we see Dana upset at people? Yoel Romero after the Adesanya fight, you know, uh, for not going after it. Well, look, there's got to be something for them, Luke. And I'm not in a in a fantasy world that everybody's going to be covered with a huge pension for life. But look, the same reason why there's this giant lawsuit right now against the UFC that was probably modeled after the giant lawsuit against the NFL. Because if you're going to to be the soldiers in this war to help the to help the boss, you know, win and keep business going, and you're watching this company get sold for billions, and all these great things are happening. And you got nothing to show for it. The only way we're really going to make a change, Luke, is if the fighters band together and create whatever non-Bjorn Rebney run foundational, almost union-like thing they can do to start hearing their voice heard. Because if they don't, then yes, they are replaceable cogs in this engine. And we all tune in hoping they will give away the rest of the good years of their life on one night in the cage for our entertainment. And uh, it, you, we've said this a few times. It's the media's responsibility in some ways to bring light to it, but it's going to be the fighters' responsibilities to band together, the ones who have leverage, the ones who are maybe are right in the middle of their prime now and can easily have the same attitude that Spencer Fisher had in his prime of thinking, oh, that won't happen to me, you know, whatever. I mean, look, in the story it showed Fisher's trying to hide you know, illnesses and things. I mean, he's just trying to get back into fights to make money. Um, we don't want to be in a system where that has to be the way, right? So hopefully stories like this will be the right wake-up call, not only to the UFC and other promoters, Bellator included, to, to, to take great care of their athletes or the best that they financially can, but really for the fighters, Luke, to build something to, to support themselves and the guys that are going to come after them. And that's why unions happen, Luke, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's... This is just the stakes are a lot higher. This isn't working down at the factory, right? This is this is uh, this is pretty bad. Uh, what are your thoughts on 
probably the juiciest part of the story. The comments about the UFC doctor who, uh, in the end, reached back out to the Fisher family and basically surmised after talking to them that maybe Spencer Fisher was exaggerating his symptoms and that that the CTE isn't really CTE and it might not have been caused by fighting and, oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. And you saw the comments from that same doctor in another podcast who basically said the people that are fighters, they would probably be in crime if they didn't pick fighting. So all this damage, they they happen, they this saved them. I mean, this is the biggest like like uh, uh, remember that movie Sleepers? Do you remember when uh, Kevin Bacon at the end after explaining his rapes of young children was like, I made you tough, right? I made um, you tough. You know? I, I learned I learned this lesson really vividly. In 2000, was it 2012? I can't remember when it was. It was when RG3 had the game, uh, the quarterback then for the Redskins, um, now the Washington football team, when he was already had a banged up knee and then Mike Shanahan sent him back out there and his knee just got torn to absolute pieces. He tore his PCL, his MCL, his ACL, everything else. And you'll recall that the team doctors were interviewed about it and they were like, you know, we felt like with a couple of shots of cortisone, we could just send him back out there, no problem. And it was, and then you had the, that huge investigation the Washington Post did, where team doctors were just forcing, you know, prescription narcotics on their players over and over again, creating all kinds of chemical dependencies. I've long learned that I don't give a damn if a doctor takes the Hippocratic oath. If any doctor out there, not any, but in many cases, I should say, in many cases, what I have found is if you see like team doctor for various NFL or sports team or you know, doctor in-house for this promotion or that promotion. They may very well do a good job, but you should at least take a second look because what often ends up happening is they do their job for healthcare in the service of the people paying them for it. Well, in this case, the fighters aren't per se paying them or RG3 wasn't paying uh, that particular doctor for their healthcare. It was the team. Uh, that was who was really signing the checks. So whoever is signing the checks is going to get health care in accordance with those needs sometimes. Now, again, I'm sure that there are many scrupulous doctors who do get checks from teams or other sports organizations, and that's not the deal. But I have become extremely skeptical about any doctor who fulfills that kind of role. And if you watch enough sports, you'll see this thing over and over and over again. By the way, BC, especially at the collegiate level. Oh, it's so bad over there. Yeah, this is bad. And, and and I'm also not naive to something I teased earlier that we've talked about, Luke, that the safer we try to make this sport. And again, you know, just over 25 years into it. These are the prehistoric days, Luke. We look at UFC like one through 10 as the prehistoric days when guys with one glove fought, you know, guys in a gi. No, this is still the prehistoric days in terms of how fighters are cared for. But to clean it up, Luke, and to help the fighters, you'll probably see less of the Guida versus Diego Sanchez types fights, you know, on a whole. Um, there's going to come a point, Luke, where you're going to look at it and go, is it worth it, right? Certainly will. Uh, all right. Uh, we, the interest of time, because uh, Mikey is killing us behind the scenes here, BC, let's get to our last topic before we get to some of the fun stuff here today. Uh, UFC president Dana White has suggested, uh, kind of interestingly, if you ask me, that the strawweight champion, Zhang Wiley's next fight, will either be against Rose or Carla. But, BC, this is the part that kind of got my attention, unless you have a particular angle there. Obviously, it should be against Rose. And Rose and Carla, by the way, I believe have the same manager, so there might be something to, to that. But to me, the bigger one, BC, was that they want to do it in Asia. 
That's where they want to put this one. Now, Dana White previously was saying, hey, if we can't have all fans, I don't want any fans. Obviously, they've rolled that back. We're going to see some fans at UFC 257. So that should be kind of fun, blah, blah, blah. Now, BC, I don't know if China is going to blow up and be this huge market for the UFC. It's just so hard to tell at this juncture. There's plenty of reasons to think that it could, but I've also seen UFC go out there and say Mexico is the new Brazil. Yeah, not exactly. Not exactly. It's going to take some time. And I don't know if anybody can be the new Brazil, not even uh, you know, long-standing powerhouses in the MMA community. That being said, you got to love the call for the growth of the UFC and Asian MMA for the UFC to take their champion, who is quite good, and put her back there for a title defense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, look, like, let's not be naive. When that whole scenario happened of Dana floating out, I don't think Rose wants a title shot next, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you find out that was not true at all. Uh, it led us to believe, look, are we trying to set the champ? Weili Zhang is going to be coming off a year layoff after one of the hardest fights anyone could ever have. Are we looking to give her a softer title shot, a title opportunity to defend on home soil, increase the brand and grow? I still think they're trying to do that. And it's not a huge amount of disrespect against Carlo Esparza, the inaugural UFC strawweight champion, who at 33 is riding a four-fight win streak, have has won six out of her last eight. But look, of those four wins, all by decision, two split decisions, some really, you know, coin flips there in, in that regard. Is that an easier matchup for Whaley? Yeah, of course. It is. It is. Look, I, I, I'd favor Rose against Whaley. I think I think mm. Nama Yunus and Zhang Whaley is... I mean, one of the two or three best fights you can make this year in the whole sport, Luke. I love this matchup. I love it. I think Rose is a bad style matchup for her, uh, yet Whaley is very much the real deal and looks like she has a bright, bright future. This could be an absolute, you know, mixture of of a of a war mixed with just technical brilliance. Um, if the UFC is smart, though, you you kind of want to give somebody in the, considering the situation the huge brawl, the layoff, a softer. You know, you bill it as the former champ coming in on a four-fight win streak. It just looks too good, Luke. It looks too good on paper. So I have no confidence that Rose will be next, but Rose Wei Lee uh, should happen this calendar year and needs to be next after that, Luke, if they don't go in that direction. Um, hopefully they can do it safely, put some fans in there. Look, I have no idea what 2021 is going to look like. I mean, it's already out of control, you know, with your friends over there in D.C. But, um, you know, uh, <laughs> my, my, my friends, yes. Quarantine wise, I mean, I just don't I just don't know anymore, Luke. I mean, you know, I, I just well, here, don't here, know. Here's what's kind of amazing about this fight, BC. I mean, let's not put the car before the horse because there's so much great action to come in this, this next year. But uh, it's not inconceivable that Zhang Wiley, who was one half of the equation of the fight of the year winner in 2020, her versus Rose. I mean, I don't know how that fight's going to go, but I could see a lot of scenarios where they win 2021 fight of the year. I mean, that's how good that fight is on paper. That's how competitive and fun and interesting. And again, of course, it could be just, you know, ordinarily good, not spectacularly good, and it would still be just fine. I'm just sort of pointing out, like, it's just, that is one of those fights that is basically impossible to miss on, at least so, so we can tell. And for that reason, they may skip it, because Esparza, I think, is a, is a great fighter, but I don't I don't know that she's up to the task of Zhang Wiley, and they put her in Asia as well. That's just a tough road to hoe. They may want to give her... Um, you know, the people sort of massage or something when she's back in. If they put, well, they didn't say China, but let's assume they put it in China. Um, you know, we'll see about that. But it is such an tantalizing prospect to get Zhang Wiley in a fight with Rose Nama Yunus in Asia, in the moon, anywhere. It's that good. 
That's a lot. Luke, are we being too it. harsh on Carla here, or do we just know her ceiling? Are we no, being I think too harsh? she's. Listen, yeah. Carla is a very good fighter. She will beat a lot of your people that um, folks don't expect. She has really worked on her striking. She trains with Colin Oyama. She's got wrestling in her back pocket. The thing is, it's like. Is she the best wrestler in that division? No, Tatiana Suarez is. She's a good striker. Is she the best one there? No, not necessarily. So she'll take rounds from folks and fights from folks when they don't necessarily expect it. But against people of this caliber, the Zhang Wylies, you know, they don't make a ton of mistakes, man. They don't put themselves out of position too much, and they are well-rounded too. The ace in the hole that you normally rely on, I just don't think will be there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that's no disrespect. Love the Cookie Monster. But uh, warning track power, Luke, okay? All right. So from there, BC, where do we go? You want to do your segment now? How does this work? Let's let's spin the wheel of doom. Let's do this thing, Luke. As you know, we're just trying to kick the, you know, we're, we're, we're figuring it out. We had SJW for a bit. We're going to try to figure out some fun segments to see where they land. So quickly, here's the premise, Luke. I pick the categories. Ten each week. You spin the wheel five times, and you must as I must in giving you a good-natured faith question, provide our listeners and me with a good faith answer. Some of these will make you think. I thought we had an actual wheel. Do we have a wheel? We do. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, We're about to spin the black circle of death here, Luke. Um, Just a full disclosure, Luke has not seen any of these questions, and I do not know how these are going to land here. We're going to spin and find out. So, Luke, let's... uh, Jesus, take the wheel of my life. Luke, kick the wheel of this show. Your 10 categories as we debut this week are you cringy bastard, used car salesman, money never sleeps, the tracks of my tears, WrestleMania, the airing of the grievances, the Irish curse, butt stuff, uh, heavy metal, and Comet Ping Pong. Luke, would you step up? Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and would you spin the wheel, Luke? Uh, Gaff, how are we doing I, this? I'm told we had a wheel, Gaff. Where the fuck is the wheel? All right, there's well, your there's cue, your cue. Then. There we go. Okay, all right. Let's see this. Let's spin this bitch. Now, are you going to spin it and end up on something, or do I have a say? Nope. The Irish, Irish curse. curse, Luke. All right, here we go. All right, let's here do this. is your question, Luke. This is, ironically, the only trivia I have in this, and it's trivia time here on the Irish Curse, Luke. Throughout seven trips to the Octagon as a pay-per-view headliner, which fight with a reported eight hundred and twenty-five thousand pay-per-view buys was Conor McGregor's poorest-selling main event to date on the pay-per-view level? He's had seven trips. All right, so let's think about this. So it wouldn't be Alvarez. It wouldn't be the two Diaz's. It wouldn't be Khabib. He's had seven, right? Not counting uh, Floyd Mayweather, he's had seven trips to the pay-per-view main event as level a headliner? in the UFC. As the headliner. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to think here. So you take those out. You still have Mendez out there, which was supposed to be Aldo. You have Aldo. So you have just one more that I'm thinking of that I'm missing. I'm I'm not sure what it is. I'm going to go with Mendez only because um, that was supposed to be Aldo, and then last minute they switched it up out of nowhere. But it's probably the one I'm actually not thinking of. Is it Aldo or is it not? Oh, and then Cerrone would be the other one. Yeah, I'll go with um, I'll go with Mendez. Is it Mendez? Ding ding ding! Eight hundred and twenty-five thousand buys, two thousand fifteen. Luke, correct. Well done to start off this show. Let's go back to the wheel of death and see what you got All coming. Right. Spin Luke. that, spin that fucker. Let's see. 
By the way, it's bullshit that I don't get to spin it. I just want to point that out. Yeah, we got to figure things out here, all right? I don't know what, yeah. how we're going to make this work. We're not even in the same area, Luke, okay? Heavy metal. Oh, heavy metal. metal. Okay. All right. Here we go, Luke. Hey, Luke, no one hates intelligently predicting MMA's future more than Luke Thomas. Luckily, no one loves making Luke Thomas more uncomfortable than this guy, the beige one, the BBC. So, Luke, look into your heavyweight crystal ball and tell me every man who will hold the UFC's heavyweight championship between now and January 1st, 2024. Every man. So I can skip the women's side of the game, right? Yeah, I don't think the women have a heavyweight division at the moment in the UFC. So uh... You know, give it time. Give it time. Uh, okay. So let's go. Who's going to hold the belt at um, That's a three-year window, Luke. The next three years. Who will hold a piece of that UFC heavyweight championship? Okay. Uh, oh, just a heavyweight. All right. Um, I think John. Are we counting interim titles or no? No. Let 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 let's assume in a perfect world, it's all okay. it's all the full thing. So Stipe, because he sort of already qualifies. Um, I think John will hold one. I think. Um, oh Jesus! Fuck. Well, that's me. John. That is John right there. That's a yeah. yeah. He's like, how could you even hesitate? Uh, I'll say, I'll give a, I'll give a, um, I'll give a wide. I'll, I'll give a bit of an outside answer. I'm going to say Cyril gone. I think he might. Up, I think he might hold end up holding some. And, Cyril gone. Good lord. Okay, he's got three yeah. years to do it, Luke. And I think uh, beyond that, I don't know who else is coming up that would show me that they've got the thing going on. So you um, don't think. Frank Ngannou gets gets one time somebody one time and holds that belt. I think he gets hosed along the way is what I think. I think he should have already had an interim title. I think he should have been defending it. Um, but I think they're going to find a way to, to not let that happen. So I'll say no. But I mean, that's again, this is bullshit. And no one should listen to a word I'm saying about this. So, okay. So Luke's final answer is Stipe Miocic, John Jones, and Cyril gone. All right. Yes. I would have gone with only John Jones myself, Luke. And I was really looking to see if you were going to bite the Adesanya bullet and say, hey, I'll give you three uh, years. No, Izzy. I'm not ready for that. I mean, he's got to beat. He's got to beat old Blahovich first. All right. All right, Luke. Let's step up and take your third spin on the wheel of death. Yes, 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 yes. We need music for when this thing spins. Yeah, we need a lot more, uh, you know. You. Who the fuck? Should I answer this live on the air? It's probably some yes, debt collector. Should. It's probably some Canadian journalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Okay, go ahead. Bronstetter, why are you calling me? All right, Luke, you cringy bastard. This question is about the cringiest man in all of mixed martial arts. Luke, which realistic fight? And when I say realistic, I mean a guy at a weight class he would realistically accept a fight against offers Henry Cejudo. Should he return from retirement? The biggest opportunity to sell pay-per-views on one night. If the well, fight it, happened this year, it would have been Jose Aldo. Um, realistic is one forty-five realistic or no. If you think he can realistically go there and you think he realistically would go there, then yes, it is. I think that if Max Holloway beats Volkanovski, Holloway versus Cejudo is big. I also feel like wow. if TJ Dill I'll, I'll say this. If TJ Dillashaw can get right at 135 
and reclaim his throne, him in a rematch with Cejudo is big, really big. Uh, or, you know, big enough anyway. Uh, I'm just, I you know, all to... Henry is having is playing the same game at home, looking at the landscape, trying to figure out who he would come back against. Luke. The Cody that, Garbrandt right? one could be big, but he's a little bit too inactive. Uh, although he had a sweet win this past year. Yeah, I'm going to go. My answers are Holloway or a rematch with Dillashaw, provided that they both can like reclaim a little bit of what's lost. All right, fair enough. Uh, two more spins left, Luke. You never know what you're going to get. There's a lot of wild ones still I'm, out there. I'm Let's hoping, go back. I'm hoping for butt stuff. I really am curious to see what you cooked up with that fucking category. <laughs> spin it. Spin it. Let's go. Spin number four on the Wheel of Death. Here we go. Hey, comment <laughs> ping pong. Everyone's favorite place to get the uh Sandus- sandusky sausage special luke uh, oh don't even you fuck don't even it's uh, an awesome establishment you're an asshole no luke this is not about the mishandling of children this is about pizza if i told you that after today's show you were headed to the electric chair but we could order luke on the way one large pizza from any pizza place in the world that you have been to national chain or mom and pop shop. Where are we stopping on the way to killing your ass? Now, I don't know if they're still around, but back when I lived in New York, the best pizza I had was bleaker street pizza. Bleaker oh, street pizza. They are around in a big yeah. way. Yes, okay. they are. So bleaker. I'm not saying it's the best. Cause I've never, here's the thing. BC everyone's like, Oh, so-and-so is the best. So-and-so is the best. You got to really like, try to like look around and see what's out there. And I'm sure there's some New Yorker watching being like, fuck you, Luke. Bleaker Street ain't shit. Okay, well, then it ain't shit. I'm just telling you what I ate at the time. Imagine but your it, fans in Doha. They're like, come on, Luke. Respect, brother. <laughs> what I'll say is Bleaker Street pizza was just, I mean, the most tremendous slice. Never too greasy. Crust always perfect. Just the right amount of ingredients for perfect balance. Uh, they, were, they were relatively quick, too. It didn't take long to get your food. Bleaker Street Pizza. Shouts to those folks. They made a yeah. killer pie. So I had it for the first time uh, 2019. Fantastic. Fan freaking yeah, up there. Up there in the in the conversation. That whole area, by the way, in Manhattan has tremendous Italian restaurants if you ever get the chance. All right, Luke. Five, uh, six categories remain, but you only have one more spin. Here we go. Let's end it on a high note. Let's head I feel back like, to the Wheel of Death. I feel like going forward, I should get to pick the last one. Interesting. Interesting. Hey, look at this. The airing of the grievances. Luke, we are 17 months into this MK experiment. So aside from New York City's transit causing your boy BC to be late to the infamous drinking episode on December 30th, 2019, in which you got all kinds of bitchy and pissy, Luke, because you had another job to get to or something that I got was late coming in, you know, whatever. Um, when and why were you the most angry or annoyed so far since we started Morning Combat with this guy, your co-host? That was pretty much number one. Are you saying outside of that? I'm saying aside from that very infamous Ooh. day, Luke, when you were a little bitch, right? Yeah, well, you were also just totally unprofessional, but what can I do about it? Um, when were you the most angry or annoyed with this guy? Look, I can take it, okay? I can take it. Um, man, that one stands out so much. I mean, I've been annoyed with you here or there at times, but that one, I was just, I wanted to fucking strangle you. Um, How about the JMA disaster, Luke? 
Which one was that? When I when I uh, when I got uh, Andre Sukumoth after me. When I got uh, oh. <laughs> Kai Asakura tweeting at you. Yeah, but I I was mad, but I I more pitied you than, than anything else. I don't. All I'll right. tell you this. I don't like your framing of the sauce shit because I still feel like you fundamentally misunderstand what makes us work. Um, but I love now that. It's, it's so n- ambiguous. You never know if I'm. If yeah. I'm well, here's the thing. Now I've sort of made peace with it. It's kind of funny. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna talk you out of it. You're gonna do what you're gonna do. But uh, when you first started doing that, I found it a little bit annoying. But you know, not that. Not, not nothing, dude. I'll just say this: like Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you when you were late for that drinking episode, and I wanted to fucking kill you. <laughs> so short of that, there's not been a major incident. Oh, I thought it was good to see you were going to say that one time I asked if uh, Abuela and Rob Thomas had any chemistry. Because that was a pretty oh, dark yes. moment in our Yeah, see, I, I, here's the thing. I can't even remember all of your asshole indiscretions. <laughs> they are so few. Or sorry, sorry, they're so frequent, rather, that they are hard to... Your, your asshole indiscretions are like Trump's lies. It's just you, you, like you lost track of the one from Monday because he's got five new ones from today. It's kind of like that. All right. Well, Luke, that would be the wheel of death for week one. Hey, you know, we'll see if butt stuff can make a comeback next week. Thank you. All right. Very good. I like this. Some things we got to work on, but I kind of like this segment. I think it's pretty cool. Um, All right. That takes us now to fan submissions, BC. Let's roll on through. Oh, crap. I forgot. I'm not prepared for this. Give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) You asked what my time was. I was most fucking annoyed by you. It's right now. (laughs) And meanwhile, uh, Mike, I have to, I meanwhile, have I have to look at this excellent gentleman with a plate the size of a fucking asteroid with a, with a mullet, and he's wearing an MK sweatshirt. I don't know who this gentleman is, but God bless him. He is a fine American, provided he didn't yeah. storm the Capitol last weekend. Yeah, hold on. I oh, think geez, I'm there. Oh, I got it now. I got it now. Mikey, I'm good. Thank you very much. All right, Luke. Saul A. Is that Saul Alvarez? He starts off with us this week, Luke, um, on our fan submission. God, it looks like Canelo's... Uh, Seventh bastardized brother. He says, the only tip to tip around here are these beef tips. Sundays are for mid-tier Mexican food. Fast, cheap, and always okay to good. By how way, about you know, Saul? You know how you can tell it's mid-tier? Because they do what every mid-tier restaurant does. But by the way, mid-tier, one of my favorites. This is not me telling you I'm above it. But they've got that little, the little of cheese on top of the refried beans. And then the lettuce is just shredded iceberg with like a big-ass sliced tomato on top. That's how you know it's mid-tier Mexican. But you know what? Mid-tier Mexican, is, it's all right by me. I'm down with mid-tier Mexican any day of the week. Our second submission is from Chance M. He says, wearing my cool morning combat t-shirt with my beautiful wife of 27 oh, years and going tip-to-tip in public at the Kilted Mermaid in Vero Beach, Florida. Shout out to this fine American, Luke, as you would say. But, bro, I cannot fathom what it's like to go to a bar indoors with no mask. I haven't done well, that. Well, yeah. Florida, they don't they don't have rules. They don't have cares. But uh, can we can we shout out a couple things here? That looks like a fantastic brew that him it and does. his wife are sharing. It does. He looks fit and fantastic in that MK t shirt for probably yep. being an old bastard. And you know his wife's kind of sneaky. Twenty seven years into this, right? You got to give old Chancy a, a high five, right? And you know they're like COVID, come at me, bro. So you know what? Yeah, they're living man. life. They're living life pretty great. <laughs> They might as well uh, start promoting fights on Fight Island. Yeah, all right. Hey, we move on this week, Luke, to Jerry O. He says, 
What's the first thing you do when your wife tells you she's in wow. labor with your first child? Obviously, you grab your MK hoodie. Shout out to my wife for not only bringing our little girl into this world, but also listening to you donks as background noise. I've watched all of your videos since day one. It's MK all day. Well done, Jerry and his beautiful wife. That is... Congratulations right there. Congratulations, right? bro. You're going to need that hoodie because you're never going to shower frequently or sleep normally ever again. So yes, thank you very much. There you go. All right. I'd love to see one day Jerry's offspring against uh, Ocean Michael Perry in the in the octagon. We'll see what don't, happens. Don't, the, don't right? do it. Years before don't, we get there. Don't get yourself killed. All right. Here we go to hear Stevie B is back. Steve B says this is from my home office. Wow. Can we blow this up, Gaff, by any chance? Jesus. Oh, wow. nice. So he's got an MK mug. Is that a Todd Duffy cardboard stand-up back there, Luke, or is that Stone Cold Steve Austin? What is that? Doesn't Stone, does Stone Cold have tattoos? Uh, yeah, like on his leg. I don't know. That does. Who is that? Is I don't that know. I wanna, I, now I want to read this fucker's email. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right. Well, look, shout out to Steve B for, one, having a quality office there, Luke, with some nice memorabilia, but having the MK mug right in the middle of the action. I love that. No doubt about right. it. Looking great. All right. Uh, Will A is coming at us with some merch he purchased. Uh, check out this nice tumbler, and he says, if you want some awesome New England IPAs, Bald Birds Brewing is where mm. it's at, BC. Pairs well with gas station hoagies. Well, we'll I will look them up and look out for that, Will. Yeah. And you can drink them out of this fine morning combat, t- morning combat tumbler, store.show.com. All right. Hey, Luke, let's go out west with our very good friends, Bill and Jen's RV adventure on Instagram. They sold their house, as we know. They're living in the RV. They are currently right now, it looks at Big Sur in California on the coast. Check out that handsome gentleman, Bill, there with the MK hat standing in front of the ocean, the rocks, the cliffs, Luke. And as we advance the slide, oh, yeah, look at him right there looking good. Do we uh, we know how they make money? Are they retired? I think his wife works, uh, and he might work too out of the out of the RV on uh, you know online. I'm not really sure. I didn't delve that close, but uh, I'm convinced Bill might have three pairs of clothing, and and two of them are MK related, and I can respect that, Luke. Okay, all right. Uh, it's uh, not too far from what I'm doing these days. It, not 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 too far, and there is uh, Bill and Jen, and they're and they're uh, look at the puppers. Plot. Inside the RV. Uh, these people, follow them if you want to see some beautiful nature pics. Uh, a great, fine couple and, and followers of this show as well. So thank you, Bill and Jen, for all you have done. Uh, Luke, let's skip that. Okay, let's roll on. This is from at 8 Imaginations on Instagram. It's a Star Wars comic inspired by MK, Luke. <laughs> Wait, are you? I'm Han Solo, sort of. What are yeah, you? I think I'm Princess Leia. And we're both on Tatooine, Luke, your homeland of Doha. Yes. All right. That is uh, a... You know what? I appreciate the the spirit of this, but it didn't quite work. Yeah. Uh, Matt S. is here, and he says, um, the Matt Thomas family barbecue, (laughs) king of the hill style, and not pictured as Matt scrolling past BC's DMs, Luke. This is... (laughs) So for folks who may not know, oh my God, he's going to get so fucking mad. This is my brother. This is my brother, Matt Thomas. Not the most flattering pick and or Photoshop. Cheese stuffed burgers for dinner. What's the, what's the other part say? Peace pipe for... <laughs> peace, peace pipe for dessert, Luke. This is great. So you're telling me that Matt S., whoever that is, found a picture of your brother online and created this meme. This is... Yeah, this that's is- my brother. My brother, as you can see, I have, like, as gray as I am, my brother is only a year and a half older than me. 
Look how gray he is. I mean, it's almost 100. He's like Anderson Cooper gray. Um, that is fucking... Dude, I, I've got to send that to him. Uh, that is so goddamn funny. Look, what, what are the odds we could get... Rob Thomas never coming on this show, never watching this show. Could we ever get Matt Thomas on the show? Would he care? Um, would, he, would he be into it? Like a, a drinking episode where we tell old Thomas stories, anything? Uh, possible. I think that's po- not very not very easy to do, but possible. My dad is impossible. Like he would, my dad yeah. would sooner would sooner dis- disown me than do that. Yeah, if your dad ever met me, he'd be like, "Okay, here, where's my car? Here's the ticket. You know, here's the valet ticket." Yeah, no, yeah, no, right. sir. I, I'm the co-host of your son's show. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, Luke, this is from Cam Newton with a K underscore underscore. Oh, we are skipping that one. Okay. Uh, let's go on to the next one from Alan W. With two movie posters. First is to Dana White. <laughs> thanks for everything. <laughs> is this supposed to be to Wong Fu? Yeah, to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie. Dude, that's a uh, super whatever. '90s reference that our audience is not going to get. This is good though. So when I saw Showgirls on first run, first showing on a Friday night in Waterbury, Connecticut in the fall of 1995, Luke, I told my parents that I went to see Tu Wong Fu. And I remember coming back from that and my dad sort of interrogating me as I walked through the door, checking to see if I had been drinking or not. I had to, I remember feeling like he was like, so what movie you see? I was like, Oh, we saw that uh, Wesley Snipes Tu Wong Fu thing. And I remember the disappointment in his face was so extreme that I was probably better off being like, oh, yeah, dude, we saw Showgirls. It was fantastic. Yeah. All right. So shout out to that. Jay Aaron in the car there. Nice. Yeah, he doesn't need to. He could be in the trunk. Uh, Alan W's got one more, and he says, uh, back to the bomb shelter for this uh, Back to the Future Part 3 inspired COVID poster look. Now, that's pretty good. Post-COVID, they will finally go tip to tip to tip. That's CBS better. presents uh, Back to the Bomb Shelter, a Jason Aaron film. Very well done there. I love that. Yeah, that okay. means no one's going to watch it. <laughs> uh, Jose A. is back with a dead wrong image, Luke. Everybody hates dead wrong. Only on <laughs> By the way, I meant to tell you this. So you remember how last week's dead wrong, someone was like, oh, you got the time of uh, MF Doom's death wrong. It was, uh, you know, you said it was New Year's Eve. It was Halloween. They sent me a timestamp literally when I announced that MF Doom had died. In it, I said, he passed around Halloween. They announced it on New Year's Eve. They keep trying to do me dirty on Dead Wrong, and they keep failing, BC. Why? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. picture them riding dirty. We picture that every week. These, this is a failed segment because the people have made it fail, Luke. All right. Uh, Steve B is back with another one with uh, tip to tip bros here, Luke. Let's see what we got going on here. Look, I didn't put this on. Have you seen this shit? Cause people are sending me this picture. Like if I get a picture sent to me 78 times, Luke, I'm like, okay, it's probably jumped the shark, but uh, he's added a little bit of a uh, language there to make a meme out of it. Making Dana white angry. I know that. All right, for you streamers out there. Uh, let's go on to Richard A. Luke, he was having some fun with the Reface app instead of six edits. Uh, for, wow, see, he got six clips on this show? Who's editing this show? Uh, the first is of the Adams family here. Is that you and me as Dana? That's you. That's John Jones. Good God. Okay. All right. Uh, that was Richard's next is uh... Un- uncomfortable. Oh, God. 
Was that from uh, what? Uh, Staying Alive or something? No, the echo is killing me. Can you turn the sound off between clips because it's fucking killing us? Thank you, uh, uh, the, dude. The third that is, was you, uh, that was you at the bus stop. <clears throat> at the bus stop. <laughs> the third is Luke Thomas here as John as a Forrest Gump. I, I like how I get to be the mentally challenged of the two. Mean, meanwhile, BC gets to be the guy who fucks. That's great. Uh, next up is uh, BC in Pulp Fiction, apparently. I mean, do you think that God came down from heaven and stopped with a pulse? I don't mean disrespect, okay? I respect you. We have you. You've, been, you've been Travolta twice now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up is Luke Thomas in this pop star music video. And every every character I look like looks like the ugliest version of themselves. This is really <laughs> not doing much for my self esteem. I have to tell you. Well, get ready for this. Richard A closes with BCS Takashi six nine Luke. <laughs> Gooba. That fits far too naturally, Luke. The, my face on that body, I don't, I don't, I don't know. All right, uh, let's roll on because apparently we've got four thousand of these, Luke. Um, at Joel, at Joel Joggy on Twitter, he says he can't properly screw his mic stand in. I don't believe a professional like BC could mess that up. You can squat, apparently, on uh, on a bar, Luke. Is that going inside my? Oh, God. I didn't even notice that. Can we go to the next one? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from the Combat Hour on Instagram. Uh, they made a meme of Canelo learning from the boys over at Morning Combat on the ori origins of the clembuterol taco. Don't buy the beef local, you donk. Not bad. Taco prep for dummies. All right. I'm with it. All right. Matt S. has a uh, colonoscopy-inspired meme for us. Oh, God. Yeah, no, please get it next. Next slide, please. Uh, Jose A is back, taking into consideration Brian's love for women's strawweight fights and apparent hate for JMMA. Don't worry, I'm aware it was a joke, BC, but I had to make this meme. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> is that me on Drake's body, Luke? Yes, that's you on uh, old Canada Dry. All right, Kevin L. sliding in with two. First up, BC finishes reading the Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, Luke. That's a good ending, right? It's very you've happy. Been working, you've been working out, BC. Look at that shit. God damn. And second up is after the Ryzen controversy, Brian decides to expand his cultural horizons with some authentic Asian cuisine, Luke. Dude, you would go to P.F. Chang's and start, like, yeah, with egg rolls in your hand, fucking double gun pointing at everyone around there. All right, a couple more to go here. James has a night at the museum insurrection, BC and LT storming the Capitol. <laughs> By the way, if you notice, the, the guy who you're supposed to be over there on the right holding the flag, if you look below his right hand holding the flag, that is his actual work badge. This fucking idiot, he, was, he worked in IT or something. 
This fucking idiot wore his work badge to the insurrection, and uh, they promptly fired his ass. So, Look, know. is your guy going tip to tip right there? I think he's probably making some white power thing. Who the fuck knows with these morons? Yikes. All right. Uh, the next one we got from at Daydream Comics. They caught Luke Thomas protesting here at this. Uh, uh, well, you know, Luke, I mean, you know, it was the same city. I, know, I haven't seen you and this guy at the same time in the same place, right? You think I'd be caught dead among those vermin without a mask, no less? Come on now. <laughs> uh, Scott M. Rizzo, a regular in these parts, has two for us. First up is Luke getting caught enjoying <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's office at the Capitol. Luke I smeared feces on all the door handles for a left. <laughs> and the second up is uh, BC, uh, found somewhere else on security cameras inside the... Uh, Inside the old Capitol. You got this, Gaff? Oh, they arrested that fuck, too. That was great. That's Nancy Pelosi's lectern. Luke, we close with Dickles, and he's got two of them. First up, an MK remix of Army of the Pharaohs, Heavy Lies the Crown. And he says, if possible, pass this message along to Luke. See if he catches the song references from the album. Heavy lies the crown when you sit upon the throne of MMA media. The hate and the blame for delivering the facts can you make can make you feel like you've been fed to the lions. This is the king's curse. Conjure the legions of donks and ready the war machine. That is morning. Combat. That is that is uh, so. This is the uh, as you can see. Heavy lies the crown is the album from Army of the Pharaohs which he has reinterpreted, and all those song titles are from the album. That is, uh, that is good work. That is good work. And finally, Dickles has uh, Brian reviews the interview. Let's, let's, let's check this out. thing and um and i got to the garage and he's doing pull-ups like butt naked and i was like i have an idea and so i got our tripod out and took you know we staged that photo <laughs> no 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 luke no. no what is your favorite video on red tube <laughs> no Thank you very much. Uh, uh, those are great. Those are great. They did a well, great job with those, as they well always done, do. Well done, peeps. We do have to wrap early today because uh, we got some big interviews this week, Luke. I'm looking forward to them, getting people fired up for all things UFC on MK. All right? We certainly do. Uh, all right, so just a couple of housekeeping notes, as always. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, lots of different ways to do it. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Our names differ there a little bit, but it's consistently morning combat, as you can see there on the screen all the way through so please give us a follow you want to turn in a morning submission or something for dead wrong provided it is even remotely accurate one place to do that morning combat at gmail.com is the email of course showtime is the label that pays us so go to showtime.com for a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can go to something else in your life and of course all that merch that you saw on the fan submissions is available at store.show.com any parting thoughts bc um you know, wear your masks. I want to be back at fights. I want fights to have big crowds, Luke. Can we stop going out to the bar in Florida? Can we, you know, can we, uh, can we beat this thing, Luke? No? Maybe? Maybe. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's do this. Uh, for BC, 
For uh, Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, and everybody else, we'll be back Friday with a preview of UFC and ABC1. And until next time, wear your mask, donks, and may all of your gains be loyal.